I wanted you to see my rocking chair today. Thank you. A couple of years ago on Father's Day, we went to Cracker Barrel. I don't know what the plan is today, but uh, we went to Cracker Barrel, and I was sitting in one of these rocking chairs, and my family thought it looked really natural. So they bought it for me, and, and I put it in my study. If you've come to see me, you've probably sat in this chair for a while, and uh, I hope it lasts a long, long time. It has a lifetime guarantee, and uh, but I, I think it'd be kind of neat to, for it to last, and so we can give it to somebody else. Um, my quilt here is uh, is an heirloom. These this you you probably couldn't buy this from me. Um, I would I would consider offers, but you probably couldn't buy this from me. <laughs> the lady who made this is very conscious of the dollar, so she might make me another one if you offer me enough money. But no kidding, it's, a, it's an heirloom. Lois made it for me, and she took plenty of time to do it. Her grand, grandmother taught her to quilt, and she made me this. It happens to be called, can you guess what this pattern is called? If you're a quilter, you know this is the Ohio Star. And this is not to be confused with, with, with uh, any football team. This is about a state where I was born, the Ohio Star. So um, it, it reminds me of my heritage, and it also... It also reminds me of Lois's love and her devotion to me and the hours that she has spent putting up with me and doing nice things for me. So it means a lot to me. So I hope this chair lasts a long time. And I hope this quilt lasts a long time. Because I like to have them all in my life. And I like to give them to other people that mean a lot to me so that they can remember the things I believed in and that they know that they're loved too. Now I'm preaching to you out of a Bible today that, that I got from somebody else. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this Bible uh, belonged to the first Kenneth Pierpont in our family. Uh, my grandfather, Grandpa Pierpont, my dad's dad, was uh, a pastor. And, and this is the Bible, this is a Schofield reference Bible. I think Grandpa thought that the only Bible there was was a Schofield reference Bible. And uh, he had a series of them that he wore out. But this is the last one that he had. And it was the one that he was preaching out of on Wednesday night in October of 1980, the last time he ever preached. He had to sit on a stool because he couldn't keep his feet. Uh, But he preached in a prayer meeting, and then he went to the hospital, and then he went to be with the Lord. And my dad gave me this Bible, and I gave it back to my dad. I just said, Dad, you want to have that Bible. It was your dad's. And... uh, my dad said no. He said um, a few years later I was ordained uh, up in Fremont. And the night of the ordination service, my dad brought me this Bible back. And he put a note in it for me, a picture of my grandpa, and he gave me this Bible back. Well, I hope it lasts a long time. I hope my chair and my quilt and my Bible last a long time. But I know they're not going to last forever. But what I want to talk about you today, and especially to you that are men, is I want, to be, I want this to be a really encouraging Father's Day for you. I want you to be encouraged when you go home. I want you to know how special you are. I want you to know how influential you can be. I want you to realize that there are a lot of people who look to you and who love you and who respect you. And I want to remind you about a tool you have to be a man of great and eternal influence for good. And I could talk to you about a lot of things today. You know, i got a stack of books on being a dad and being a father. 
and all kinds of ideas that you get from hither and yon. Some of the ideas you get from the Bible, some of the ideas you get just from the common good, from the culture. A lot of people write about these things. And we could talk about all those things. We could talk to you about the importance of your, your manner. We could talk to you about the insights of psychology on, on parenting, on being a dad. You know, we do that every once in a while. We give a lot of relational advice uh, from the pulpit. But I'm not going to do any of that today. What I want to do today is I want to talk to you about how to be a man with a lasting influence for good. Now, I'll give you a little, I'll tell you a little secret. If you're a girl, this works for you too. But this is really for the men today in particular. I want to talk to you about how to have a lasting influence for good. And I want to remind you about this powerful, powerful, God-given tool that you have, if we can call it that, that when you go away today, that you would just feel this sense of empowerment from the Lord that you can have an eternal influence for good. Now, in, in, in my message is arranged in, in three points so that you'll remember them. Very simple. The first thing is to believe the gospel. The tool we're talking about is the gospel. And the first thing that you can do to be a man with a powerful influence for good is to believe the gospel. Now, it may not sound like uh, that's a very profound thing to say. Lots of people say they believe the gospel. This is really much, much more profound than most of us realize. Just the simple idea that you have been exposed to the truth, that you have sinned and broken God's law and deserve a place in hell forever. You know, a lot of times, have you ever noticed what happens at Father's Day, or we'll talk about being a man of virtue or being a man of character, and so we will say, I remember this guy, and I remember the character that he had, and what a good guy he was. And maybe we'll even, like, tell stories from our family. We'll say, well, I remember my grandfather, you know, if he shook your hand and he made a deal and he shook your hand, he would keep his promise. That's the kind of a guy he was. And what we kind of end up telling people is this. We end up telling people that, you know, your family, your influence, and your culture depends on you being a really good guy. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Yeah, none of us are really good guys. That's what's wrong with that picture. You never once while you hear somebody, well, our family, we don't this or we don't do that. You know, the Pierponts do this. The Pierponts don't do that. And I was thinking about this yesterday, about what Pierponts do. Well, Pierponts do a lot of things, but one thing all the Pierponts I've ever known has, have done. You know what it is? <laughs> you guessed it. Sin. Every Pierpont I've ever known has been a sinner. Some of them are worse than others. <laughs> somebody who was it, probably they don't want to be, uh, brought me an article about Harry Pierpont. Like if you have an article about Harry Pierpont was, was a bad guy. Died in the electric chair in the state of Ohio, yes. Um, and, and left a fortune on a farm in the state of Ohio somewhere. Somebody brought me a nice article on that, probably just to encourage me. I took it and, and I, I tacked it up on the board in my study. And every time I look at it, I remind myself, that's what Pierpont's are right there. Pierpunts are people that if Jesus doesn't do a miraculous work in them, they go to hell where they deserve because they're sinners. That's what Pierpunts are. And that's true about you, isn't it? And so when, when we hear the, the message of the gospel that God, in order to redeem lost people, sent his son to live a, a perfect life, to give us the righteousness that we don't have, and to take the sin, our sin that we have upon him who is sinless, that when we believe, we pass from death into life and become the children of God, that to believe in the gospel is the most important thing that you can possibly do if you want to have an eternal influence on other people. Would you look in your Bibles in Ephesians and chapter 2 this morning? 
And I want you to see this in Ephesians 2. I could have, we could have gone a lot of places, but in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I want to read to you here from my grandfather's Bible what the Spirit says to us about the importance of believing the gospel. You hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If you want to have an influence, men, here's the first thing that you need to do. You need to believe the gospel. And be continually thrilled with the gospel. And be fascinated by the gospel. And understand the gospel. You need to believe it yourself. You need to be gripped by the gospel and, and thrilled with the gospel. And the second thing then is, and this is the scriptures frequently teach, that when a, when a man really believes the gospel and the gospel really gets a grip on him and he's really thrilled with the gospel, I'm not just talking about a church-going religious guy. I mean, a lot of my family were church-going people, but the gospel had not gripped them. And when the gospel gripped them and they believed the gospel unto salvation, that changed our whole family. It went from a church-going family to a believing Christian family. That was a huge difference in our family and all of our people. And that's true. That's going to be true with you too. There's a difference between being a decent, moral, good guy that goes to church and keeps his nose clean and takes care of his family and being a guy who believes the gospel and he's gripped by the gospel. Now what happens when a person is thrilled with the gospel or when a man is thrilled with the gospel, he's gripped by the gospel and he's changed by the gospel. You know what happens? You can always tell because he has to proclaim the gospel. He has to tell other people. Now, everybody's different. There are some people that are bold enough to walk out on the street and just preach it on the street. And they're gifted for that. And there are some people that will we'll go out there, they're not going to preach on the street, but they'll hand out tracts on the street. And there are some people that will invite people over and have barbecue. They'll talk about Jesus. There's some people that are going to go golfing, then they can't keep quiet about the Lord. But I will tell you one thing that's true about every man who's ever been really saved and gripped by the gospel, he has to proclaim it. He has to let people know. Now, it's important that he proclaims the gospel, like, to a a number of different groups. The first group that he really ought to proclaim the gospel to, and if you want to have an influence for good for a long time, the first person you ought to preach the gospel to is you. And you ought to preach the gospel to yourself regularly. Um, It's interesting. um, You ought to have uh, such an understanding of the gospel that it's something that you're good at talking about. Uh, Somebody asked me yesterday, when I refer to books, I I don't know if you can read this, but when I refer to books, I want to give you guys some, some book recommendations uh, that would help you to really kind of sink your teeth into the gospel. So I want you to imagine that the gospel is a steak, okay? The gospel is a steak, and this is your fork right here. Um, this is your steak knife. This would be a great little book. It's not a big book, but it's a very good book. And I would suggest that you get this if you like. We're late on buying your Father's Day gift. You might get Dad a copy of this along with whatever else he really likes, like a 
new car, truck, and, and one of these. Um, get him a new truck, a Ford, of course. And, uh, and then this book. Jerry Bridges and Bob Bevington have written this book called Bookends of the Christian Life. Anybody read this? Where's Jonathan? Where's Jonathan sitting today? Have you, not, you have not read this book. I was sure you had read this book. Hanging out over there? No. All right. Anybody, anybody read this book besides... Aren't you glad you came to church today? It's a great book. It's about the gospel. And I think what happens is we tend to think of the gospel as, oh, I know what that is. Those are four little points on the back of that little track that you give out. Once you get saved, you really don't need it anymore. Well, read a book like this, right here. <laughs> and along with it, read a book like this. And what you'll find is um, that there's more to the gospel than a lot of us really realize. Yes, that's uh, the bookends of the Christian life. I'm tempted to talk more about that, but I won't. I'll give you a couple more little recommendations. This is a good one, too. It's another little book, What is the Gospel? And it would be a great book to read. Anybody read this one? Timotheus, have you read this one? Yeah, bits and pieces. I, I knew you were onto this. The other one, have you read that one? No, okay. <laughs> I've seen your book. I've seen your reading list. This is a wonderful book. Some of you read this, haven't you? This is a wonderful, wonderful book about our Lord Jesus um, called Seeing and Savoring. Jesus Christ. And, and one more here by John Piper, too. Um, and this is Jesus is the only way to God. But I especially would recommend that maybe you pick this up and that you take it and you read it and you get. I guess what I'm trying to say is this, and that is don't think of the gospel as the little key to entrance to salvation that you can throw away once you're in. Don't think of it like that. Think of the gospel as something that you're going to go back to all of your life and you preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's going to be... So how can a man have an influence? He can believe the gospel and proclaim the gospel. Look in chapter 2 of Ephesians and verse 7. It, it, the purpose of our salvation is that we, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Well, that's not only true in the ages to come. That's also true right now. God wants to display his kindness. He wants to display his mercy. He wants to display his grace and his goodness and his beauty and who he is. He does that through the gospel, but he does it kind of indirectly through the gospel by redeeming people. And then those people proclaim Christ and proclaim the gospel and preach and they teach the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can you tell what that is? That is a bear. It's a bear who lives in our neighborhood. Matter of fact, this particular bear lives directly across the street from our house. Our neighbor got this bear up north. It's not a real bear. It's a chainsaw bear. And can you see there's a little cub there too? It's not a Chicago cub. That's just a cub. And uh, Michigan cub. And uh, now what's cool is this is right across from our house in the evening, you know, when the sun's going down. You look over there and you get a little feel of the north. My grandson, little Kyle, came over. And when they parked their car, they parked their car across the street. So they come driving up, they park the car, and they're going to get him out. And the first time they get him out, he looks at this, it's kind of dusk, and there's this big looming bear. And he looks over and goes, bear. And his mom and dad go, and I'm like, look out, watch out for the bear. Because I'm a great grandpa, you know. I was like, watch out for the bear. He's like, ah, and he holds on to me. I go, I'm just kidding. It's not a real bear. It's not real. He says, it's not real. I go, no, it's not real. He goes, oh, okay. But he kept watching it. 
And so as I carry him in, he's looking at So every time he would go outside, he would go, he'd kind of like look over there like, well, the next time he came over, he's real little at the time. The next time he came over, he gets, I go running out to get him out of the car, and I open the door, and I get him out, pick him up, I start to bring him in. He's, he's like, it's not a real bear. That's not a real bear. That's not a real bear. It's about six times. That's not a real bear. Well, I guess true, it's not a real bear, but why are you saying it? Now, why was he doing that? Because he was telling himself the truth, yeah. He says, tell, his, something inside of him was going, that bear's real. He's going to eat you. He's going he's to eat you for lunch. You're going to die. That bear's going to eat you. His insides were going, it's a real bear. But his mind was saying, speaking the truth to himself, it's not a real bear. It's not a real bear. It's not a real bear. And it's true about the gospel, too. And that is, there, there are times when, you're, when you are tempted to think, this sin is so bad, this failure is so dark, this problem is so deep, this darkness is so deep, that even the gospel can't penetrate it. And that's when you need to preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. But there are other people you want to preach the gospel to. You want to preach the gospel to yourself daily. You want to preach the gospel to your children and I don't just mean like when I say preach and proclaim the gospel, I'm really not talking there about kind of a preachment where they sit down and then you kind of yell at them. You know, there's a lot of people here. So if I use a microphone and I talk with a loud voice, it's not because I'm mad, right? I'm in a good mood. It's Father's Day. I'm happy today. But if you preach the gospel to your kids, you know, obviously you, it might look like you take your daughter out for coffee. And you talk to her about what she's interested in. You listen to her. But then you know that the main thing you want to do is you want to take that precious daughter of yours back to the cross again and remind her that you needed to go there one day and that you have to go back there all the time. You save once, but you want to be reminded that you don't depend on your self-righteousness for your standing with God. Have you ever noticed that a lot of people who believe the gospel, say they believe the gospel, they're still kind of on a performance thing with the Lord? They say, well, if you went up to them and you said, on whose merit are you going to go to heaven? Yes. On whose merit? And you would say, on the merit of Jesus alone. But in your heart of hearts, you're really not sure about that. And you're kind of like the person. You ever see the YouTube video and the guy gets on a treadmill and he just turns it on and it's like on high speed? And so he's beating it. I mean, the guy is just flying on and he's doing great for about, you know, about 30 seconds. And then after a while, he just got, the thing just like throws him off the wall. And that's exactly what's going on. It's like I'm on the performance treadmill. I got in by the gospel, but now I've got to really like the hamster on the wheel, man. I've got to have this right because God's going to look at me. He's going to throw me back if I'm not. And so you're on the performance treadmill. So you need to get off the performance treadmill, preach the gospel to yourself, Remind yourself of the righteousness of Christ, of his forgiveness every day. Get your daughter, take her to coffee, talk to her about what she wants to talk about. Take her back to the cross. Remind her that's the most important thing. Fish with your boys. Fish with your girls. Spend time with them. And, and lovingly tell them that the most important thing in your family is that you're all sinners and you need the gospel. And if you want to have an influence on people for eternity, think about it. If you help somebody else get enlightened, somebody you love, like your child or a neighbor kid or an extended family member or your grandchild or maybe even an adult child who's not walking with the Lord and maybe they even were, you know, they grew up in church, but they need to go back to the gospel. And so you think about this, men, if you want to have an influence for good for eternity, believe the gospel and proclaim the gospel to yourself and proclaim the gospel to your kids 
and to your grandkids and to your grown kids and to the neighborhood kids and to the kids that are going to be on the bus till they can. Amen? And the people that, you think about this, I got a little thing here, your extended family, your church family, and the circle of life. Let me explain those to you. In the, your extended family, you think about, you've got people that you have exposure to that might be nieces or nephews or cousins or just your extended family. And you should take, as a man, you, you think about this, you can't do like, you, can't, you, like, you only have a little, t- little window when your children are small and they're in your house and you can just literally just build in their lives every day, every day, every day. For most people, it's not like that. And when your children get older, you don't even have that. But what you can do is you can think to yourself, I have the treasure of the gospel. God has enlightened my mind that I understand the way to eternal life. And I understand how to give somebody their bearings, how to get a grip on life. The gospel is going to be life-changing for them. So you think through your nieces and your nephews and your cousins and the people that are in your extended family. They might not have somebody else like that. And you might think, you know what, for the purpose of winning a hearing for Christ... I'm going, to make, I'm going to begin to send them a birthday card. I'm going to begin to go to their baseball games. I'm going to look around within your extended family for people that you can, that you can proclaim the gospel to. And then in the church family, because they're, they're kids that, go, that all around here. Now, here's what happens. Adults and children around evangelism. This is a nice church. I, I, I've never been involved in a church that's nicer than this one or has better people than this one right here. There's some good folks here. Love the Lord kind treatment, good folks. I'm not being mean about this, but we're all people that are redeemed sinners and we're all kind of in process. And so when you look around, you're going to see people of all ages that do irritating things, including, you know, me. And um, I don't irritate very much, but, but some people are really irritating. And, um, and, and, and you're not going to like that. You're like, look at that. You know, I think I might go to a different church where people are nicer. But they're going to irritate you after a while, too. So just stay here. Um, it's just like we tell people when they're visitors and they come by and they go, I'm looking around. I say, well, we have a plan for that. Come here for 10 years. And then uh, after that, if you don't like it, you can look around. And by that, by that time, they're bought in. But, but anyway, there are people here that are grown up. There are people here that are not grown up, some of the young people. And they're going to say and do things that grieve us, that hurt us, that irritate us, that we can obviously see that's not right. Now, what do we do about that? We, we, we remember, wait a minute, we're all people that were born hell-deserving sinners who were exposed to the gospel by the grace of God have been saved and we're in the process of sanctification. That's how the program is supposed to work. So by virtue of that, should we not all be very patient with one another when we're grieved about somebody that's way off the rails and way far from where they ought to be? You know, what about, you know, the, a church is not a place where everybody's already got it, already perfected, and they're already perfect. But they are devoted to the gospel and to the sanctifying process. And so when you look around, you see people. Now, you're going to look around, you see young, and I'm going to kind of narrow it on young people and on children. And you look around, and all around our church, there's stuff going on, uh, Awana and sports and music and stuff, and there's little children buzzing around. They are our stewardship, and we can show them the gospel and proclaim the gospel to them. Not just me, of course, but every Sunday school teacher and every youth leader and every, you know, dear elderly man and lady in the church. Just take it upon yourself in a very gracious and very loving and very winsome way. Give them a piece of candy that always works better. Or something. You have the old guy in church that hands out candy, and he's a really nice guy, and he gives you the gospel. You, you want to be that kind of person. Make sure that you, that you love these children that are around here and that you tell them the same story about the gospel so they get it. And you've got to remember, 
when it comes to the gospel, there's a great darkness, and Satan doesn't want them to understand. So you'd think something so simple they would understand, but when you talk to them, it's shocking how often people don't understand the gospel, even though they hear it all the time. So proclaim the gospel. There's a couple other things, a circle of light. Uh, talk, I'll talk to you quickly about two circles of light, yours and this church's circle of light. Think about this. You're, you're a Christian, so you have a light, so you have a circle of light. Wherever you go, there are people whose lives you touch that other people don't touch. They're in your circle of light. They're within your spiritual influence is what I'm saying. Those are the people that you want to be especially aware of, your neighbors, kids on your baseball team, your, the, whoever it is that picks up your garbage. Just, they're in your circle of light. You have certain stores you go to, certain, you know, like quick marts or whatever that you go to. And there's a guy named Ferris in the place where I go and I get a cold drink every once in a while. I'm talking about non-alcoholic, of course, you guys. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Did I need to tell you that? I don't drink alcohol. I I want you to know, just in case you're wondering. Anyway, so I go to the gas station where Ferris works. Pastor Michael, if you're ever preaching and this happens to you, it's like a train rack. You know, make a note of this, you know. Don't do this. Anyway, I go to a place, a gas station, guys named Ferris, girl named Lisa. They're in my circle of light. They don't go to church. If I go get something to drink on the way home today, they're probably going to be there. They're in my circle of light. Who else knows the Lord that they're in their circle of light? I don't know, but they're in mine. This church has a circle of light, a beautiful circle of light. That maybe it's 20 minutes or 25 minutes or something. I know some of you drive farther than that to come here. But the people that we can reach, there are thousands of people that fall, that live within the, the light of this church, the circle of light of this church. And as fun as it is to come here and be together and agree with one another on everything, we should never, never, never be satisfied by just getting together and enjoying being together. This band of people ought to be aggressively, missionally reaching out to get to people before it's too late that live in the circle of light of this wonderful church. And to do that, we've got to have a bunch of men, and we do have a bunch of men here whose lives have been changed by the gospel, whose lives have been transformed by the gospel, who are thrilled and stirred with the gospel gospel and they are going to influence other people in the circle of light of this church and then the third thing is to display the gospel believe proclaim display the gospel and over and over the scriptures talk about that in ephesians chapter 2 notice verse 7 in particular we mentioned that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding kindness exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through christ in verse 10 for we are his workmanship and we're created in christ jesus unto good works which god hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So what do you have? You have men who believe the gospel, men who proclaim the gospel, and men who show the gospel in their lives. They have a consistent life, not because they're normally morally good guys, but because Jesus is doing a sanctifying work in their life. Scriptures say, My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. Thanksgiving of 1980, it's October, October of 1980, I think it was October 22nd, uh, 1980, my grandfather Pierpont, uh, he passed away. Um, he, uh, he was uh, only 72, and uh, when, he, when he passed away, uh, October 22nd, we always got together for Thanksgiving, and we would always go over that way. They had the farm for many years, and then they sold the farm, and they moved to a house in town. And um, that particular year, obviously, Grandpa had been gone for a month, and Grandma looked sad when we went over to Thanksgiving. 
we all sat around, and it was kind of different because he was kind of a larger-than-life personality, and he was a storyteller, and, and, and everybody loved him. And with him gone, it just didn't seem the same, of course. And so we had our Thanksgiving uh, feast, and then when it was over, we went out uh, in our traditional family football game. On the way over uh, on Wednesday night, we had our prayer meeting over on the other side of the state, and then Lewis and I, this little VW, uh, drove across the state. It was snowing a little bit. So by the time we got there, there was just enough snow on the ground to make it an adventure. And after our meal, we decided to go out and play uh, football. It was kind of cold. Uh, I started to walk out the back door, and I heard my grandmother go, Kenny, where are you going? And I said, I'm going, I'm going out to play football. She said, you are not going anywhere without a jacket. My grandfather, on the farm, they had this row of pegs outside the back door. And on the pegs, he had various different barn coats and chore coats. They were some of them real thick, thick ones that had a blanket lining. He called them his blanket line wamas. And he had shotguns, different kinds of shotguns and stuff leaned up against the, the wall and then these, these coats. I was going out the, the door and my grandma took this denim chore coat and she handed it to me. And she said, hey, you, you wear this now. I don't want you to catch pneumonia out there. So we went out for the afternoon and we played football. And we had a great time. And then when I came back in, my, mom, my grandma said something that made me happy. She said, hey, that jacket looks great on you. Why don't you just keep it? And so I did. And I thought you'd want to see it today. It ain't going to last forever. But I put it in my closet. I forgot about it. And my oldest boy, Kyle, was out working one day on the little farm place that we had for a while. And he was working Working real hard, being real diligent, and it reminded me of his grandpa. I said, he, he was born a, a month, a year after grandpa died. I said, Kyle, grandpa would have loved you. You're such a hard worker. It's a diligent. He would have loved you. I said, you know what? Stay right here. I got something I want you to see. So I went up and rooted around the back of my closet. I got this jacket. Brought it down. Put it on him. I said, your great-grandfather wore that jacket on his farm. And so he kept it for a while, and then he said, Dad, you probably... I lost a little bit of weight. <laughs> and he said, Dad, why don't you take it back? I think it would fit you now. <laughs> so I gave it back. He gave it back. And I thought, well, I thought about Father's Day today, and I thought about you guys, and I thought about not wanting to beat you up today or make you feel discouraged or remind you all the failures that you've had. We've all had them. What I wanted to do today was remind you how powerful you could be and how influential you could be how lasting your influence could be. And the tool that you have, the gospel, you believe it, you proclaim it, you display it, and you will have an eternal influence. Just want to tell you something before you go. It's NGO week, neighborhood gospel outreach. Young people in our church are going to be doing Bible clubs all around the neighborhoods. We're going to have Vacation Bible School this year, of course. We're going to be inviting kids from all around the neighborhoods. The Lord has given us another bus, so I think that's his vote, that we should keep going out in the neighborhoods and, and we should keep trying to connect with young people. I heard a story about a missionary family that got this beautiful cabin up in the mountains. It was a, it was a cabin by the lake, and, and they were given this cabin to, to, to rest and to recreate for a week. They had, a little, they had their, their children there. Their littlest boy was a little boy named Billy. He was about three years old. And they're all, you know, out eating and having a good time. A 12-year-old cousin was supposed to be watching this little boy, Billy. And, and she, she looked away for a while, and he walked out on the dock and was exploring. He, he fell into the lake. 
they, they, they began to scream and cry out, and, and Billy's dad came running as fast as he could. And he dove into the lake, and he couldn't find him. The water was all muddy and murky, and he couldn't find him. And just frantically, he, finally he ran out of air, and he had to come up to the surface and get a gulp of air and go back down again two or three times. Finally, he, he knew he would never be able to see him, so he began to just feel around. And he realized that this little, little three-year-old boy was clinging to the post of the dock, about four feet underwater, just clutching the post. And he peeled them off, and they came bursting to the surface, and they, they got the air in their lungs. And they say that he just held him, and he walked around holding him until their hearts slowed down, their pounding, and they could breathe again. And then to him he said, Billy, what were you doing? What were you doing, Billy? And Billy said, Dad, I was just hanging on because I knew you were coming to get me. And I believe that there are people, they're just clinging to life out there in the murky, dark waters all around us. And they're waiting for us to come and get them. And it's going to take some men, some godly men whose lives have been changed by the gospel, who are eager to proclaim the gospel, whose lives demonstrate the gospel. Amen? Let me pray that you'd be one of those guys. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I pray as the men go that they would be encouraged, and the women and young people as well, that we have the power of the gospel that changes our lives and help us, I pray, to live that in a way that you'd be honored and many would be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See you tonight.